0: uh preached today and uh, I'm excited to do so and of course a little nervous at the you know at the same time but welcome to all of you that come uh, that came today also welcome to those that are watching uh, on the web currently. So our sermon today is uh, about a greater sacrifice and we, we sang songs about that just now uh, that the the blood of Jesus Christ is what Brings us life. Um, so, very often, from from uh, from a a preacher's perspective, I gather, it's always good to go back and take a look at what has already been discussed or what has already been read um, before going into what it is that one might be preaching about. So. It, I want to go back to and just remind us, uh, back to the beginning of the uh, book of Hebrews, the author. He, he writes to this church or to these people, uh, these Christian Jews, and what he's telling them, the basic theme of what he's saying is that uh, that of the priesthood of Christ. Uh, but more specifically, the big message of this book is that... Um, because of Jesus Christ, we, you have and we have access to God through him. In the ninth chapter, the very beginning in verse one, it was looked at last week. Um, it develops a number of contrasts, and we see that throughout the book of Hebrews. Uh, starting in, uh, in the very beginning of the book, it's a contrast between the angels in Christ and Moses in Christ and so on. The, the old versus the new covenant in the ninth chapter, starting in verse one, it gives us a glimpse of the inferiority of the old covenant, and the beginning here in verse eleven that we will be reading the superior to, the superiority of the new covenant. The old sanctuary or the old tabernacle um, was of the earth. This new sanctuary that's being spoken of that we live in today, that sanctuary is actually presided over in heaven. And it's perfect, unlike the old sanctuary that was uh, once part of the old covenant. Like Seth Seth said last week, it doesn't diminish what was done, but now Christ comes to fulfill what had been started. The old gave limited access to the people um, by means of the priests. The priests would go in, the people basically um, were limited as to what access they had. Jesus, on the other hand, provides complete access in all aspects. The, uh, the Old Covenant could not purify in the same way that Jesus Christ purifies us. There was rites and rituals in which they went through to have purification of the flesh, that there were defilements of certain things that they did as people that um, required... Cleansing. Jesus, on the other hand, the comparison there is that Jesus provides completely our purification. I'm reading it, I'm studying it, but I'm frankly not completely understanding how that really takes place, other than that's what God's word says. And so, so, therefore, that's it. I'm going to live by that. So, we're going to begin. Hebrews 9, verse 11 through 28. That's a long section of scripture, bear with me, but we'll get started here. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, when through the greater and more perfect tent, not made by hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of deviled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for purification the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serving living God, therefore he is mediator of a new covenant so that those so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant for where a will is involved the death of the one who made it must be established for a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when, every, for when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it is necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who eagerly wait for him. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, these words um, carry with it such great meaning. It's, it's truly the essence of what the gospel is about. The blood of Jesus Christ and the cross are what make it possible that we can even sit here before you and have a relationship to have the ability to have access to your greatness, your goodness, and, Father, uh, we just thank you so much that it was your love, it is your love, that provided this for us. And w- without it, we would be hopeless, facing the wrath that you rightly have toward our sin. So, Father, I thank you. I ask that you would help us in our understanding, help us in our, in our believing of the truth of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the blood of Jesus, it cleanses our conscience. The blood of Jesus cleanses our conscience. In the first section of the scripture, verses 11 through 14 of our scripture today, the author describes a sacrifice, basically, well, sacrifice of the day of atonement. This is a comparison that he's making. In verse 11, it begins with a but. This means pay attention there's a comparison taking place. Uh, one day I would actually like to hear someone uh, do a, a series uh, preaching on the great butts of the Bible, because there's there's a bunch of them. But um, this is one. With the idea of the Day of Atonement, the priest goes into the Holy of Holies, cleansed to offer the blood of the sacrifice of animals. And this is described uh, the the tabernacle and all the Vessels and that sort of thing are described in the first portion of this chapter. But our great high priest enters the holy place to offer once and for all himself as he sits down at the right hand of God, securing, obtaining our eternal redemption. And as we see that in verse 12, not through cleansing rituals, but by his blood and a perfect spotless life. Then, in verse 13, the people of Israel needed to be sanctified by the ashes of a red heifer. It's a a ritual cleansing. Uh, We can read all about this in in Numbers chapter 19, but there were many things in the law that defiled a human being, that defiled a person. For instance, um, the handling of a dead body. Uh, a, a woman's menstrual cycle, childbirth, disease, any of those kinds of things, rendered one unclean. And so there was a process in which they had to go through to be cleansed, to be ritually cleaned. So there was a provision given, and that was of this special breed of cow. The cow, the red heifer, it was raised with extreme care. And as a matter of fact, there currently trying to raise one again in Jerusalem or in Israel. This, this cow, this heifer, was completely red, not a single white brown hair. It has to be perfectly red-haired cow. It, she um, cannot have had a calf. She cannot have been under a yoke. When they got this heifer, then they sacrificed her. And when you think of the sacrifice here, it was a burnt sacrifice, kind of like we might think of cremation today. Absolute, utter ash. They would then take the ash and they would put it in pure water, spring water typically, in um, very small amounts. Uh, one, one heifer could last a century for the people. I'm not sure how many there were over the course of... Time of the people of Israel and this uh, this law being uh, worked out in their lives, but it wouldn't take much just a little bit of this ash, spring water, and a hyssop branch and on the third day after for instance, after touching a body, something dead, the third day and the seventh day you went before the priest to be sprinkled with this hyssop branch and this ash and therefore being ceremonially unclean it was for the perp- it was the purpose of Purificating, uh, purifying the flesh. In verse 14, we find a sharp contrast, though. It says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serving the living God? See, just back a little bit further from verse 11, we have verse 9 where it, it says that, These rituals could not cleanse the conscience. It just cleansed the outward things. But Christ, our great high priest, has done just that. He purifies our conscience. And so what does that really mean? Without Christ and his redemptive sacrifice, we can only produce dead works. That's it. That's all we can do. His sacrifice and his calling us Through the Holy Spirit creates a new spirit within us. We read this throughout the entire New Testament. The Apostle Paul tells us, But by the grace of God, we have been made alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive in him. It is by grace that you have been saved. This is Ephesians 2, 5. But looking back, if we go back to the very first chapter of Hebrew. It speaks something about this as well. Hebrews 1, verse 3, it reads, He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. After he purified our sin, how did he do that? Through his spilled blood on the cross. So, <clears throat> I I grew up in a dysfunctional family. I know, you're going, what? Not Bob. Um, but it's true, I did. And I was a young, I'm the youngest of three. I have an older brother, and the eldest is my sister. My dad, he was a hardworking alcoholic. Um, mom was a fanatically religious woman, continuously seeking the Right religion, if you will. Um, I remember most of my youth living in a state of fear. Um, I covered that up by being cute, funny, class clown, that kind of thing. But my dad, he could become, he could get violent. And you never knew when really that was going to happen. It was just the state of things. Never knowing what he's going to do when we get, when he got home from work and then, of course, it was my mom <coughs> who, with a single glance, could throw so much condemnation and shame on, on you just like that. Um, and she often did. So, real or perceived, um, I grew up with this as, my, as the backdrop of my life. Now, I, I felt this, I recall, feeling this looming dread, this looming cloud over me, this judgment, this shame, potential retribution, and wrath. And I don't say this for your pity at all, but that you relate to this story, because it really doesn't matter how I was raised. It really doesn't make a difference how you were raised. We all deal with this. When we're honest, laying in bed at night, going to sleep, we... We live in this, we live potentially in this world of dread and doom. And even now, as a believer, you, me, we walk through this world, turning on our televisions, listening to the radio, we browse through social media, and we encounter defilements constantly. We're given an opportunity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to have the ability to wart off those things through his power and the Holy Spirit. But we are dealing with these things all the time. It is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifices that's what changes us. It changes our conscience. It changes the way we view ourselves and, of course, the way we view the world. So the contrast that we're talking about here of the conscience, a a simple definition would be, and I said simple, but I read it and I'm like, that's not so simple. But um, it would be the cognitive process that elicits emotion and rational associations based on our individual moral philosophy or our value system. And so I would say in a nutshell, my value system is completely different from what it once was. And that is only through Jesus Christ. That is Paul's example of putting to death the old man and taking on the new man. In essence, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, Spirit purifies our minds and our hearts, and we move from unclean to cleansed, giving us a new life in which we have a new value system, one that moves from dead works to serving the living God. So in these first four verses, we can see the greatness of this sacrifice. Um, First, in verse 12, and this is actually verse 12 is just chock full, rich, with a, a description of what this sacrifice truly is. But the first thing is the person. The person sacrificed. This is Jesus Christ. The second thing is the preciousness of the sacrifice. It is his blood. I got to ask you, I mean, what's, you ever cut yourself? And the first thing you do is you go, oh my gosh, is that, well, I do it all the time. I'm just that clumsy, but you cut yourself and oh my gosh, is that, is that, is that okay? You know, I've, I cut myself with a razor blade one time right across here, pulling the carpet up, and it just put a little red line across my arm, and I went, uh-oh. And I was waiting for that thing to fold open and then just start gushing blood out, right? Why? I consider my blood precious. <laughs> I need it. So, but the preciousness of this sacrifice is Jesus' blood, and how much more precious is that of a perfect being, a perfect man. Thirdly, the, the permanence of this sacrifice. I find this also in verse 12. It's once, it's for all. It's permanent. Not to be done again. There's no need. It's finished. Fourth, the purity of the sacrifice. He offered himself without blemish in Israel. They are breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding and breeding, trying to acquire this red heifer. Hasn't happened yet. God said, I'm sending my son. It's already perfect. It's done without blemish. And then lastly, it's the power of the sacrifice. This is eternal redemption. Three, a couple, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I preached uh, up here a, before, and I told this silly story about some guy named Jim, right? Um, but as he's leaving the tabernacle, giving that burnt offering for his family, he you know, took care of this ram, and he was so concerned. And, and then he leaves, and he's on his way back to his house, his tent, with his family, and he utters this, the words to himself, until next time. We don't have a next time. We don't need a next time because of the perfect sacrifice that Christ offers through his blood, our eternal redemption, again in verse 12. So what differentiates the old from the new covenant is the person, the work of Jesus Christ, the high priest of the good things that have come. Not are going to come, not going to, not when you're going to, when you get everything right, not when all your ducks are in order, but have come. It's done. It's ours. The blood and the resurrection of Jesus ushers in the new covenant. The blood and resurrection of Jesus ushers in the new covenant. So looking again, verses 15 through 22, it begins with, Therefore. In other words, for this reason, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. For what reason? That we move from dead works to serving the living God. God has brought all this to this about, this culmination, the fruition of the good things that have come in the person and priesthood of Jesus. So that our works... Are acceptable and we serve the living God how do we do that we do that by acts of mercy we do that act by acts of service we do that by acts of love and we do that by proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the people around us see the difference of the old man versus the new man is there was a time and there's sometimes a time even today that I need to repent of where I don't have mercy. I don't give acts of mercy. I didn't give acts of mercy. I didn't give acts of service. I didn't give acts of love. It was, what do I need? What do I want? How am I going to get? That's changed, for the most part. Not completely, but for the most part. In verse 15, Jesus mediates so that those who are called receive the promised eternal inheritance. His death redeems. This is, uh, this is language of the day referring more, more often to slavery. When someone's a slave, then someone else could redeem that person out of slavery by paying a price. Or in other words... This price must be paid. And those who commit the transgressions under the first covenant, the price has to be paid for those that committed the transgressions. The people under the first covenant look forward to this coming Messiah. And we, as the people following his appearance, look back to what Jesus has done, all looking to him for this redemption. In verses 16 and 17, we see spelled out for us this picture. It's it's a metaphor, a kind of metaphor, that where a will is involved. Now, in the New King James Version, that word will is translated testament. Where a testament is involved or an agreement between two parties. So... There are some here that recall a few years back, uh, my mom passed away and then a month later, my dad passed away. Um, And they both died in testate, basically, meaning that they had no will. And the good news is, is that they didn't have much either. So it was, it all worked out. My brother, sister and I, basically, we kind of just sorted through things. And um, there were some pictures. There was a chair a chair that my sister wanted, the old chair that had been in the family forever, I guess. She wanted that. Uh, I remember getting, uh, I have a Bible in my in my office that was my mom's. Um, and there was a little bit of money in both their bank accounts uh, that, that uh, we split up three ways. It was pretty simple, right? But it's not so simple here. In this case, uh, what is the Testament? What is this agreement so it goes way back to the very beginning of, the, of God's word, the very beginning of the Bible. God had a covenant, He had an agreement with His people. <clears throat> and in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve broke that agreement. So God comes and He says, uh, You're in trouble. And. The human being says, uh, yeah, I know. And God says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to make a way to forgive you. I will make a way that actually cleanses you. It cleanses in such a way that you might be pure again on the inside and the out so that once again, we might have this relationship that I desire. So Jesus as the executor of this will is the one who has made this will, and it takes effect only upon his own death, since it was not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. So now we have, in verses 18 through 22, it is here where things get kind of a little bit strange, I think, for us. If you haven't noticed it yet we've been talking an awful lot about blood in our culture um, all this talk of blood it makes people somewhat uncomfortable you start getting pictures of the tabernacle and the daily sacrifices of bulls and goats I mean I don't know how much blood's in a bull a gob right and that's all over the place I mean, it, it, it paints a picture for most of us, like I say, in this culture that we are just not accustomed to. Um, unless maybe you've been growing up as on a farm or a farmer, uh, you have may, maybe have a little more experience with these things. But most of us, we go to the store, um, we go to the meat counter, we buy our steak or what have you. Um, we take it home and throw it on the barbecue, not thinking twice about how that Really got there. The blood of that animal was removed. I'm sure, hopefully it wasn't some sort of a sacrifice, but it was removed, and the, the animal's life, life blood, was taken out of that animal. Therefore, for rendering that animal dead, and now you can throw your steak on the barbecue. In God's economy, blood has always signified life. So we look in Romans 6 and verse 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. Then we skip to Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for life. When my parents died, I I had no real expectation of receiving anything. Um, To be given a few pictures, a Bible, like I said I have, um, uh, that was about it. That was my expectation. And, uh, but imagine this, imagine, imagine God comes and he says, hey, my son has died. And he has left you as a beneficiary. You are the beneficiary to his estate. So is there a question that would come to your mind? Uh, the question that comes to my mind is: would be, uh, so what is it? What is it that I might get? And God looks to me and he says, He left you everything. But when the author speaks of these things related to blood in verses 18 through 22, hopefully we have a better idea of this picture and what's really happening here. God has used blood as a source of redemption since the beginning. Of course, we had Adam and Eve, right? What does it say after Adam and Eve realized they were sin, they were shameful, and God killed an animal. Blood was shed. He took the skin of that animal and made clothing for Adam and Eve. And on and on and on and on through Scripture it goes. We have Cain and Abel sacrificing. We have Abraham and Isaac sacrificing. And then here we find the blood used by Moses sprinkling the people of Israel and the book and the tent and all the vessels in it. And then in Jesus, his perfect sacrifice covers all of those things, all remission of sin. For as in 22, in verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, or in other words, without the shedding or without the loss of life, there is no forgiveness of sin. Something we say often in in Africa. As a part of the creation to cross thing that's memorized, and um, they get it. They're killing animals all the time, right? They understand that. Although we may not view blood in the same way as the early church does, or even the farmer might, the very heart of the gospel is that of the blood of Jesus Christ. It is clear that his blood shed on the cross is what gives us the opportunity for cleansing, for reconciliation of our sin. That's both your sin, my sin the sin of the people in which the author of Hebrew is speaking. The blood of Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. The blood of Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. In verse 23 through 28, the, early, the earthly things, such as the tabernacle and the vessels and, of worship, the priests of the Old Testament required blood of animals for purification. For they were all but copies or shadows of the heavenly things that have come. In Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a great, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man, That was shown you on the mountain. In verse 25, I mean 24, I'm sorry, Christ enters into the holy place. This is not a place created by man, but it is a heavenly place. And unlike the priests of the old covenant, one man goes in and all the others are kept out. Jesus enters in and ushers in the ability for us to have communion and relationship with the Most High God, the God of creation. The the priests enter and it excludes all other worshipers. Christ enters and it includes all those who believe in him. He appears in the holy place in the presence of God, seated at the right hand of God on our behalf. And this gives us what the Old Testament old covenant could not possibly give a cleansed heart a right relationship with God the father in verse 25 and 6 our author now resumes this theme of uniqueness and perfection of the self-offering of Christ on behalf of sinners it is a theme which is at the very heart of his instruction concerning the work and the nature and the significance of Christ. He repeats this idea often in the Book of Hebrews. If we look in chapter seven, verse twenty-seven, it's there. If we look at verse eleven, and what we've read today, it's there. Chapter ten, verse eleven through eighteen. So we once again today return to this uh, Day of Atonement idea, this this theme this comparison. Under the Levitical system, the high priest entered the Holy of Holies on this one day. However, he did it repeated, repeatedly. It was done year after year after year. The same ritual was repeated involving not only the entrance of the high priest into the sanctuary, but also the sacrifice outside of the sanctuary, which provided the blood that cleansed the priest and cleansed the people in the Holy of Holies. Unlike the blood used by the Levitical priest, which was the blood of an, the animal victims, blood not his own, the blood provided by our high priest for the atonement of mankind was human blood. Moreover, it was his own blood. For there, if there were a need for Jesus to offer himself more than once, then it could not have possibly been an eternal sacrifice. If it had to be done again, like the priests of old, it was done annually. If, Christ, if Jesus had to do that over and over and over for us, then the very first one was not good enough. But it was. That is why I think in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb. Of God. The One. So, in closing, we look at the last two verses, verses 27 28. All of us will die, unless, of course, He returns right now. No? Okay. We only die once, and then we face judgment. So, if you've rejected the cross, if you've rejected the blood of Jesus Christ, then what you face is an is a eternal life without him. I'm not going to go into what that might truly look like. But suffice it to say, you are without access to the Father. You're without access to Jesus Christ. And the the cross is is the instrument by which this sacrifice took place. His blood was shed at the cross. So if that's rejected, then you have eternity without him. His perfect once and for all sacrifice, his second appearing will be for those who eagerly await his return, washed clean by his anointing blood. There isn't, there isn't much that would, uh, words that would probably be scarier. And it's spoken of in, um, I believe Luke, where people will come to him and say, Lord, Lord, we, we said we were Christians. We went to church on Sunday. And Jesus says, I don't know you. His anointing blood, his, the blood that, that he has shed on the cross, on our behalf, provides us the ability, the opportunity to have access to an eternity with him. This God, this Father that says, you're the beneficiary of this will, you. He loved us so much that he provided his son, his perfect son, to bleed, to die, to have the life poured out of him so that we could have, you could have eternity with him. This is something worth praising. It's also something that I often wrestle with. Why me? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that given that I have a job to do, and I think when you, you sit and, con- and consider what this means, this blood, what it means, I think it's worth considering you have a job to do as well. Let's, let's work for God. Let's show those acts of mercy. Let's show those acts of love. Let's show those acts of service. Let's proclaim who he is, what he's done. Because there are others out there that they don't have this assurance. They don't have this opportunity that you have. Let's praise him. And let's worship him. Let's pray one more time.